This is White Scar's Team Up. Well, I think we need to steer ourselves to uh, more humorous destinations, don't you think, yeah, Greg? Yeah, I, I, was, I was right on the same line with you, because we were having a really good, really intense conversation. Let's lighten it up a little bit. We've I had wonder who we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, so now that we've actually had an hour and a half of talking with Spencer... The question itself, I feel like I need to rephrase it because we can definitely see an irreverent and humorous energy in you. And that's that's where the nag clearly comes from. That that's always that that's definitely a part of you, even above and beyond the script that that Alex writes for you. But you also said something earlier that really actually it, it inspired something in me where you were saying that the nag is kind of like the version of Butler that's been around so long that he doesn't take anything seriously anymore. Like the concept that once upon a time, he was this shining, perfectly quaffed Pega unicorn and acting more like Swiftwind from the She-Ra cartoon. And (laughs) now he's this scraggly old beast of a horse who just does not give a fuck about anything um yeah yeah, that that idea of it i've been around for a thousand years there's nothing you can't say that i haven't already heard before now just shut up and give me my reuben yeah no and and he's he's very much like like if you like meeting butler is is that kind of thing of like you know i haven't had to voice anything like this alex hasn't written anything like this that he's shared with us yet but i think Nag feels sorry for Butler because he mostly is just the oh you poor man a few more bad days and you're gonna be like me because that's I I think that's where Nag I think Nag is defined by you know I, I, we wanted this to be more humorous but Nag is defined by the world has let him down too many times he pals her I think he part of why he likes Merlane is Merlane has been through almost all the same things but she's not as beaten down by it like she's almost not beaten down at all like she is still kind of optimistic at the end of the day mm-hmm. uh and he finds that like there's a part of him that knows he needs that he need you know he needs that to counterbalance mm-hmm. himself to the point where i legit i legitimately can't remember and i like to think that neither can the nag of whether or not he has a human form this is a revelation that i'd never considered before and as people on the discord would know I have only one response to that idea. Hmm. Like, I legitimately cannot remember from Alex's notes whether or not it's, no, he's, his default state is human, he just stays as a horse now, or if it's like, no, he's a horse who can turn into, you know, a human or something <laughs> like that. Like, well, um, if he does have a human form, I imagine it would be Richard E. Grant a la Whiffnail and I. <laughs> Has Alex told you that Nag is literally inspired by Withnell and I? Like, oh wow, okay. I, now, now we're making a, another reference that I'm not familiar with. Okay, Withnell and I. With Withnell and I is a very good, very depressing um, British dramedy from. Is it from the Bleak 90s? comedy? Uh, it's 1987, so it's, it's a 1987. late. It's, yeah. 
yeah, yeah I, th- I think you're right. It's more of just kind of like a bleak comedy in some ways, but it's it's very much a character profile of the titular the titular character, and he's this washed up actor who is like desperately trying to not admit to to himself what he is, basically. <laughs> Mm, um, he he has a much higher estimation of himself and a much lower estimation of everyone around him. So it's just if you find an image of uh, any screenshot from the film, you can see Richard E. Grant, and it's just yeah, yeah, that's that's the man. Yeah, he's this washed-up actor who thinks he's amazing, but in the, it's the world's fault that he's not particularly successful right now, and that you know it's it's the world's I, fault that he's this bitter bitter man um and it's it's almost like holmes or gatsby where it's it's this other character has found them is weirdly fascinated by them but like it's like reverse gatsby where like as the as the story goes on the character is getting less and less enamored with him of like realizing it's like you're kind of just inflicting this Mm. on yourself so that you can perpetuate your own narrative type of thing yeah Um, and the and the film has this sort of ticking clock where it's like this this relationship can really only go on so long until it implodes and the and I, the other person who's kind of the, uh, I forget the name of, in the viewpoint book. The character, Toby, I guess. Yeah, yeah, the viewpoint character is played by Paul McGann. And uh, it's very, it's very good. I don't know, it's been a long while since I've seen it. So there will probably be some elements. I know that the actor who's Uncle Vernon Dursley from the Harry Potter films, like there's a slight sort of, gay panic element to him which is a bit like okay don't like you know this the the sort of like this fear that he's uh hitting on paul mcgann's character and he's just sort of like mortified about it but uh yeah uh, in all other respects it is from memory just a very distinctly memorable bleak comedy and i think that certainly worth taking at least a look at some YouTube clips for reference material. There are, of course, several choice ones on YouTube, and I will link to a few of them in the show notes so that people can appreciate this, seeing as this is definitely a little bit of pop culture that I'm not familiar with. I will also say, first time I ever heard of With Nell and I was because Alex was like, uh, yeah, have you ever heard of this? Because that's what I kind of based this character on. And I was like, all right, I'll... And then he sent me some, he sent me some scenes, so like this is uh, to really capture what he wanted out of me and so like that was i had also never heard of it until this project for this exact reference of the nag is like with null mm. i've now but, got a picture of uh, richard e grant on the screen now i recognize paul mcgann because i've seen him portray the eighth doctor so mm-hmm. i'm looking at what i assume is richard e grant yeah i just looking at his face i can totally see like, you just elongate that a little bit, and you've definitely got the nag. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Although the other thing I was thinking of is um, Lyra's art recently and how she was using this art program to do a partly human, partly unicorn version of the nag. So the the knowledge that, that the nag might actually have a human form somewhere back there in his history uh, from, from one end or the other is uh, is an interesting little side not quite canon tidbit because of course alex hasn't confirmed it one way or the other maybe it's both yeah (laughs) we don't know 
What has been the juiciest ad lib that you are most proud of, whether it's made it into the final text or not with the nag? Oh, God. <laughs> I make so many as the nag, I can't even remember them all. Um, I mean, they're just all so good, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> it's also just the thing of I can't, at this point, I can't remember which ones were in the search and which ones weren't. Because it, it really is that thing. Where it's like if he kept it, I'm just like, oh, okay, that must have been there. And I, I can't remember if I made any of it up. Truth be told, most of m- most of my ad libs while I'm recording are like I don't think most of them are viable for the final recording. I I think very few of them are because it, it's very difficult to because we're only reading our lines into mm. audacity and you know just reading our half with like and mm. you know without the pauses without be having someone to react to. It's mm. much harder to actually just like throw Improv. in a response or something. I, I honestly don't think this counts, but honestly, the, the most successful Adlib I think I ever did was on a few months ago, we recorded a, it wasn't quite a behind the white scarf, but it was a sort of round table hangout between, with the cast. And I just remember uh, Alex was going around doing the I'm Alex Shaw and with me is Loretta Sala. You know, she says hello, you know, uh, Thea you know, she says hello, she says hello. I've actually, never, I can't remember if I've ever heard her last name pronounced out loud. Oh God. Oh God. Um, uh, it, it, it's Thea Yeah. Okay, yeah. I He's moved away from that thing he used to do on the podcast where people, when he would, you know, it's like, with me is this guest, and they'd respond with something, you know, like a line from the thing they were doing. Uh, so they're all just saying hello, and he goes, Spencer Lieb, and I just responded with, made from ingredients, and I, <laughs> I was so proud of myself, not just because of that, but because he gets to Matt, and Matt can't say hello because he's laughing to it. like he just said i'm here like that i was like yes i got him like that was my proud that was my proud moment of my stupid made from ingredients line broke matt and i was like yes god this that that just that just makes me think of uh I don't want to get off too off topic and honestly maybe i'll just end up cutting this and have it i mean it's a bit late for that isn't it (laughs) well no just just this response right here is um that there was a particular acting moment. Um, Spencer, have you ever seen The Good Place? I have. I have not seen the most recent season, but I have. Okay. In not the last season, but in like season three, I think, the actor that plays the semi-functional, not-quite-a-robot Derek. Um, yeah, Derek? He, he's, yeah, Derek. He's doing this thing where he's like he's become a more advanced version of himself, but yeah. he's slightly broken in that he keeps trying to make martinis, but at one point he just fills a martini glass with olives, mm-hmm. and he's like drinking it off slightly off camera, and being more ridiculous every single time, mm-hmm. and he's like I think sitting right next to Mark Evan Jackson, who plays the demon Sean. Every take, when he tries to be more and more ridiculous, at one point he's whispering to the guy, you know I'm trying to break you. Yeah, I, I I sadly can't do I sadly can't do that unless Alex like keeps one of like me whispering of like send this to Loretta like weaponized <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, humor I love it. Whenever whenever we're in person, I am absolutely trying to like it's it's almost hard for me to to take it serious seriously like i i am taking it seriously but it's, it's like but i must destroy that destroy them that they cannot stay in character like <laughs> like you know they, they cannot maintain the can the character that is matt mortal this must not be on the on that line uh loretta and i very fittingly have a fairly good 
improvisational rapport along that line. I don't know if any of the episodes where we've done that kind of thing have have survived until now, but on a lot of the White Scars thing, we we frequently just kind of go off as Frank and Annie. I do miss getting to do that. It's just not a thing we logistically can do much anymore because I think I'm the person who's the furthest behind in terms of time zone. I think I'm the only one in California. I can't remember. Um, I'm trying to... There, there are other collaborators that have worked with Alex that are in California. Like, I want to say Jesse Ferguson. But he he's only done a little bit of voice work for New Century, and he's primarily yeah. um, getting together with Alex for being on School of Movies from time to yeah. time. Although I will say, and I, I've mentioned this... I've mentioned this to everybody because I'm trying to keep this idea alive. It's just when we actually, if we end up doing this, it's going to require, as you say, a lot of planning, planning beforehand logistics and everything like that. Alex proposed that for some future content that we have little segments where we have probably not everybody at once, but maybe like two or three or four different recordings where we have members of the cast on playing some character that they have played, responding to questions from us as interviewers, as those characters, and seeing how people riff off each other. So the idea of having the nag on with Merlane or really anybody else in terms of asking questions in character to us is something we'd really like to try and pull off in the future. Mm-hmm. There's a sketch from this uh, like old British comedy series, uh, Not the Nine O'Clock News, where uh, <laughs> there's an interview with uh, this zookeeper and Rowan Atkinson in a gorilla suit, and that it sort of devolves into them kind of acting like an old married couple. And all I can think of is if we were interviewing Mulane and the Nag, is that it would devolve into that. <laughs> <laughs> regarding the relationship the lo- like we were talking about lines that always come back to you the one that always comes back to me for that one is in Christmas Thieves where she gives him the present and he's realizing it's actually a very sweet gesture and like it's actually very nice and he, he can't he's like trying to be snarky but he also can't help but be grateful where he's just like well it's very well crafted thank you like like well I'll admit that I actually really like this so, like <laughs> Like that's that's for some reason is always the one that comes back to me, but for their specific relationship. Mm. Yeah. C- continuing to talk about the nag a little bit, <laughs> please. It's not accurate exactly to say that Captain Baltus and the nag are polar opposites. No, but you manage to play two different roles in in the thieves books and make them sound distinct. And I'm curious. Did he have you in mind to play both of these roles or did you merely audition for both of them and he decided that you knocked it out of the park? Nag Nag was one of the ones he just was like, this is Spencer. Like there, uh-huh. there, as far as I know, there was not someone else competing to be Nag. For Baltus, I did technically have to audition. I basically had to prove that I could do it. Like I said, I was actually very worried about that one. I was having a very hard time with Baltus for a while. Uh-huh. That one I remember he was not clear whether it was going to be me, Matt, or someone. I think there was a third person in the running for Bolts, but I actually can't remember because it was also, 
he had like three or four roles that were like these are unassigned i'll let you guys figure out who's gonna be who like basically through auditioning and like because for a while it wasn't i it, we weren't sure if i was gonna be Oberon or mm. um or even, even even if I was going to be either of them, like I said, I was definitely Nag. But mm-hmm. um, although I think I also I did win him over with Nag just from that opening narration where Nag is setting the scene and like breaks the fourth wall, where like he references the Beatles and a few, and a few other things. But what do uh, I know? I'm just a horse. Random trivia fact: that is the line I use to get back into Nag's voice every single time. Like whenever <laughs> I'm like, oh, I need to Nag. Uh, da, da, da. What do I know? I'm a horse. I'm like, okay, cool. Got it. Back in, I'm nag again. But yes, that scene. I think, I think I won him over with that. Matt and I, I think both did readings for Baltus and Oberon. And Alex was like, well, Matt killed it as Oberon. So he's going to, he's going to be Oberon. I was like, yes, agreed. I should, I should not do this. But then he was like, so you should be Baltus. I was like, should I? So that one, like, like I said, it, I, it took me several tries before I finally, I, I, I think, I think the, 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 important element of Baltus is not, you know, like, it's not the pitch, it's not the accent, it's the swagger, because he is so convinced of his own importance. The arrogance necessary to have that scene where he's sitting at the bar, basically explaining to Willamania. Yeah, she th- he's giving the this is the reason why you suck speech. Yeah, it's it's li- again literally the the Hans Landa speech of the do you know the difference between a German and a Jew? It's he it's him doing that speech mm-hmm. to her face, not only believing it, but knowing that she can't argue with him because he has so much power over her even though she's three times his size. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even need to be able to do the firecrafting at her. He can just be like, I can just have you arrested and locked away forever. Uh, isn't that funny? Like like that level of buying into your own hype type of thing. The, the part mm. where he talks down to the princess was like, I seem, I don't remember the exact wording, but that was the line where I finally kind of got him in my head of, of where he's basically, you know, saying it's something along the lines of like, you better watch your tone, princess, like that kind of thing. Where it's like, dude, you're. She can technically order you around, but he knows he doesn't answer to her. That kind of like, aren't I the most important person here? Type of thing. Whereas Nag has so grown past that too. He's gone all the way over to jaded cynicism of like, no one matters, not even me. It all sucks. Like that's because that's his entire arc of Princess Thieves is letting Gwen like re-inspire him to maybe there's something worth fighting for again all of a sudden Mm. that you just made it sound like he's a snarkier wittier version of marvin's depressed android incredible (laughs) it's even more depressing than i thought it would be i mean to a degree that's that's very much his mindset to a to a degree but like i think it's in a behind the white scar so sadly like you said i think it's gone now but we i think it's sharon and loretta compared him to spike from mm. buffy. oh yeah or uh, uh a few other references sadly i've never seen buffy so i don't super get it because my problem is all my references to what he is because he's the archetypical i am technically the most powerful person in this story in terms of raw power level like nag is like semi like demigod like in a lot of aspects but he just doesn't care anymore he just can't be bother like he can barely be bothered to look after himself he's sure as hell not using his abilities to help yet another noble cause in air quotes because they all think they're Mm -hmm. noble and he's so sick of them 
the uh, Dr. Manhattan problem of just yeah, like, you it, can fix all of this, but the issue is we are trying to convince you that it's worth, like, caring about. Yeah, and like, I mean, I'll make the argument that Doc Manhattan can't fix it if, unless he, even if he wants to because of the whole I'm the puppet who can see the strings thing. But yes, I know exactly mm. where, where it's like, I mean, that's literally what his story is where he's on Mars. I'm not going to come do anything up until so Spectre's like, no, come back. And he's like, okay. Like, like it's, and that's very, I mean, that's very much going to nag, but it's also like all my references are anime references, which Alex doesn't get. So I couldn't bring them up on that, on that particular <laughs> round table. Where I was, you like, can bring them up here. Stick. For any anime fans out there, the ones that always pops to my mind is there's literally a character in Bleach who has the line, the difference between us is is I have no interest in helping, you have no talent. And that to me is very much nag of the mm-hmm. the Ishida's dad thing of the I oh I could solve all of this. I could like or, or like Galadriel, where it's like, I could just kind of be the magical dictator and force all of you to be better but a i don't want to and b that that like that'll almost be like the nail in the coffin of my point like if i ever Mm. felt the need to do that that just proves it and he's would much rather just be like leave me alone i just like much much like with nil and i with nil is like look i'm just gonna go get wasted and and recite shakespeare because that's the closest i have to a happy place now whereas nag is like look i'm gonna go I'm going to go get my tail brushed, I'm going to eat some apples, and I'm going to go find a warm bed of hay, and as long as that's all I have to focus on, nothing else matters. The rest of the world can destroy itself with or without my intervention. I At least I have apples, that kind of thing. Mm. Or carrots. <laughs> or carrot, or... or... <laughs> <Hello>. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I was making a reference to the, hor- to the horse carrots in this case. Yes. Had but... her already... The so other other random thing I feel. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you said something about this earlier, but I will say, uh, part of the physicality of Nag that I think is essential to getting his character is making hooves with my hand and making dismissive like "go away" gestures with my hoof hands, and that's very. <laughs> that is to me the Nag gesture of the "go on away See, with you." All of this insight into the Nag is actually really intriguing stuff because there's two things that come to mind first I mean, of all you don't have to lie to me you can you can you don't have to pretend but no 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 no, <laughs> no. See, see so what i'm suddenly imagining in my mind is that you know there was once a point where the nag you know like had a partner and they were off doing good things and maybe the reason why he became ended up becoming so jaded is that humans always seem to end up fucking things up. It makes me think of that one scene from the beginning of The Incredibles, where Mr. Incredible was being interviewed, and while what he's saying could be played for laughs, I can imagine the nag saying it in a much more bitter tone. No matter how many times you save the world, it always manages to get back in jeopardy again. I mean, sometimes I just want it to stay saved, you know, for a little bit. I feel like the maid. I just cleaned up this mess. Can we keep it clean for for ten minutes? Um, And yet, the nag is also the one at the end of the Christmas Thieves who is insisting, no, 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 we can't have the story end like this. Yeah. You have to go and give us 
a proper happy ending because that's how the a Christmas Carol is supposed to work. If we're going to do this story, we're going to do it right and yeah. not give people the depressing ending that would naturally exist thanks to how we know the Princess Thieves plays out. Yeah, the, look, I didn't want to come do this in the first place. It's your fault for inspiring hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something that I had forgotten was that it was also the nag that protested at the beginning of the third act of The Princess Thieves, when it was narrated that Gwendolyn married the Archduke. Wait a minute, that's not at all what happened. No, I think you'll find everything you've read just now did, in fact, happen. Is this the alternate timeline thing again? I have no way of knowing for certain. But in our timeline, Gwendolyn marries Lord Aaron. And Robin dies! Why did you have us tell them all this awful story? Would you like me to take over the next bit? Secret and mysterious things took place that need a steady hand and stern constitution to describe. Be my guest. This is too upsetting for me. Yeah, that that, that is him to a T. He has that little kernel of hope that it, that needs more nurturing than his abilities or his mind. It's It's basically, it's his... You know, mm. not to be too cliche, but it's like it's his heart. It's his it's his faith in the concept of humanity, not just the human species. Because the, the humanity of the of the Akka, the Dwart, the I can't remember if we've said what the name of Krau's people is, like what their species is. But I think uh, the, the yeah. tigers, lions, and the the cat forms. Yeah, the, well, I mean, mm. we've just been referring to them collectively as great cats. Although even that is quite a little bit off at this point because now we know lynxes exist as well and lynx are more like the midpoint between house cat and and yeah. large cats um yeah they're and, they're yeah. and yet somehow we've just also been informed that they're actually they've been around longer than any of the cat races that we know thanks to the mythology that haka talks about the the one term that they met that he managed to come up with in terms of referring to that essential quality of them is felinity as as opposed to humanity. Yeah, yeah, but the, that theme of the Mass Effect games, too, the idea that it's like, you know, we have not, what is it, like nine different species, but we're all still, like, sentience still all kind of operates the same way. We still all care about not murdering each other. We still all care about, like, you know, just trying to be happy, trying to make the galaxy a better place. And Nag is, the arc he's on is kind of, I think, from what I can tell, again, only Alex truly knows, but from what I can tell, it's basically having that restored in him, the sense of, like, it's not about the fact that they keep breaking it, it's about the fact that they keep trying to fix it. That's the important part. Mm-hmm. Not not whether or not they succeed, especially since Mag, you could be the difference between them succeeding mm-hmm. or failing, which is why he participates in Princess Thieves, where he's like, okay, fine, I'll actually help. An impression I get, and it's my one so whether it's intended or not is you know circumstantial but the impression i get is that the nag has in his mind in theoretically he knows on a wider scale that like he has this cynicism this sort of Mm -hmm. universal and multi-universal spanning cynicism Mm -hmm. but in practice i think there is a certain part of himself that he can't help himself Uh, in uncivil outlaw when abigail is clearly hurting and there's just a little gesture that the nag does in sort of sympathy yeah because he 
he's not really interested in twisting the knife. He's just not really interested in sugarcoating things either. Mm. And he also, as much as he has this sort of, ugh, nothing matters in your, like, everyone is shit. And he will call other people for it. It's not something that he will passively just kind of go, yeah, no, that's how it is. When he sees someone at the end of the princess that he was being utterly indignant that he kissed a man it's just like sit the fuck down you um and that's what (laughs) makes him someone i'm glad to have around because yeah go i was was just gonna say yeah i I very much get the sense that he basically has to maintain his detached cynicism to stop himself from being the type of person who slaps your hands away from the controls like no no let me do it (laughs) (laughs) absolutely can't stand to watch this any longer it's double jump then slide, honestly. <laughs> you, you you do shockingly well at just falling into the voices sometimes because uh like obviously we've been talking about the the nag, so it's it's clearly in mind, but a moment ago when we were talking about Captain Baltus and you just suddenly just slipped right into his voice. You're saying, I could I could just snap my fingers and have you arrested. Isn't that interesting? I was like, holy shit, you're spooking the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah especially, I, I sadly don't remember how much modulation Alex adds afterwards for some of the characters. Like, I know Haka is, he has to make Haka noticeably deeper because he does that to mm-hmm. all the cats. Like, yeah. But, like, I can't remember if he modifies Baltus at all. So, mm-hmm. like, like I said, I had to learn how to be, inhabit those characters so, so switching back to them is a lot mm-hmm. is, is fairly mm-hmm. easy because we had to inhabit them for sometimes months at a time depending on how long mm-hmm. it took him to write the whole story mm. well let, let's talk about Captain Baltus now because as has already been referenced he does a really good job of being someone incredibly hateful but also easy to hate Mm-hmm. in the princess thieves and now all of a sudden for when alex got it in his mind to do dickensian fanfic as as the nag would put it mm-hmm. um we have to add depths to baltus it it comes as a bit of a shock that we are able to offer him any sympathy at all by the time that story comes around and i'm curious being that you had to occupy his headspace, is that something that sort of came out of left field for you when Alex proposed this as an additional story for that part of the world? Or did you ever see something in Baltus that would have struck you as like, yeah, this, this, this could be a part of him? Like you were talking a lot about, you know, whatever the nag's been through to make him the way he is it feels Mm -hmm. like baltus perhaps has been a little bit on that journey himself now yeah a little bit i i wasn't like that wasn't weird to me for baltus because like the weirder part to me was really christmas carol why do why are we doing this because i've I've never cared for the story i've never Mm -hmm. seen the magic in it and i've watched muppet christmas carol so like i it should (laughs) have worked but (laughs) Like Spencer, I don't have a high regard for Dickens or Christmas Carol in general. I can notice movie references in New Century all day, but molding Baltus's story to the words and cadences of the original story, I'll not notice those similarities at all. But 
There was a small piece that was part of a recent Mikey Newman and Dan Olson crossover on Christmas movies on YouTube. Dan commented on the important place A Christmas Carol has in helping Christmas and its themes to survive in the Victorian era. This single book was incredibly influential for its time. When we eventually talk about The Christmas Thieves, I'm going to do a serious appraisal of my own cynicism in regards to this timeless story, because the fact that it has been done to death is not the fault of the original work, and learning more about the circumstances in which Dickens wrote the story could be enlightening. But that's for much later down the road. I I, I also have like a personal bad memory tied to because I had to work on I I worked tech theater on a oh. on like an indie production of a quote unquote oh. sequel to it. Oh, it sucked. It was oh. so bad, and I had to. I was like, if I, it's like they're thank God he's paying me. Like I remember. <laughs> I, I was a little young at the t- at the time, so I remember my mom being like, "I don't know if you should accept the money." I was like, "I'm accepting the money because that's the only thing getting me through this. This sucks." Like, um, and but, that's uh, they the nag was born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so like like Christmas Carol to me is like a sure whatever. It's a story. The idea of humanizing again or dwartanizing, I guess if you want to call it that, but um, Baltus isn't that wasn't weird to me because that was the like. He doesn't need the extra dimension, but it's that thing of fundamentally it has to exist. Because mm-hmm. I, I think to me, the the thing about Baltus was that it's like, if I remember correctly, this was pre-2016 here in America, where a lot of us had the wake-up call of like, oh, our country's in dire straits. Um, but it's that thing of people like Baltus think they're the good guy. Baltus thinks he's the hero of the story. Like, he's a racist, classist... Even and even without misogynist. those, he's a, yeah, misogynist. God, yeah, right, misogynist. And even without those traits, he's still just a bad person. Like, even mm. if he did, wasn't weirdly prejudiced, he's still a dick. Like, but it's that thing of the people who are like that don't think they either don't see that part of themselves, or they think it's the correct way to be. Like, they mm. don't. They're not doing it to be like, oh, I should be evil today. Like, they literally think they're upholding the moral standard that's necessary. They think they're the good guys. They they literally don't see the problem with, like, oh, I can offer you hospitality and also demean your entire species. Those, those are not counter-ideas to each other in their own heads. Like, mm-hmm. they don't see the divide there. So, of course, Baltus has sympathetic elements to him he must because he cannot like by at at the very least by his own reckoning he cannot be a monster through and through and it's more just a question of whether any of that shows through to anyone on the outside and it's just kind of that side side effect of the nature of how princess thieves gets told you only see him interacting with people he thinks he's above and then also his boss who he's slightly sycophantic to like Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm I'm suddenly remembering that I also auditioned for that character. Oh, God, I can't remember. Coralinus. Yes, yes. I mm. I also auditioned for him until and like that was that was when I was a little I was kind of hoping to do, but that that was actually one of the few times where I've legitimately failed an audition. Not you know, Alex wasn't like you suck it out of it, like you know, like <laughs> it was just that I couldn't quite get his coldness across without being flat was the problem. So Alex, 
Alex took over, and I remember when Alex said he, he, it was like, you know, like Alex is going to do it. I was like, well, that just actually makes more sense. Like, I don't know why that wasn't the answer in the first place. Mm-hmm. This is that type of thing suits Alex very well. His voice just naturally lends itself to that. But, um, but with Baltus, so like diving into his backstory, if anything, I felt very much like Baltus feeling like, ah, oh, yes, I'm. This is the explanation for why I'm this way. It's not my fault. I'm forgiven. And it's like, oh, you poor, simple little man. No, you still suck. This is just, you still have to choose not to suck, which, you know, the happy ending is him, much like Scrooge, realizing that it's like, it is in your power to not be awful. And it's mm-hmm. it's a process and you have to work on it. And like, that's, you know, his ending where he's trying to make restitution with with everyone, including, you know, his lost love and all those things of like, or not his lost love, but his wife who he's been very cold to, mm-hmm. uh, like trying look, I know I've screwed up and I'm, you know, I can't fix it in a day, but I can start like that. That is where he needs to go. But that thing of like trying to make him sympathetic is like, yeah, I, I think it's the difference between sympathy and empathy of like, yeah, I can feel bad for him, but I'm still never going to forgive him because he's still awful. Like, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. honestly, I think his backstory doesn't even fully explain him being off. Like, I think it, it's that thing of like we're following the the story of Christmas Carol of like oh yeah this was a sad moment for you and it is tragic that it had to play out this way but you still had to choose to be a dick dude so like mm. like I still don't feel like it's like yeah it sucks it happened to you um some of the people you oppressed uh starved to death in the streets and they don't turn out the way you did so apologies that your life wasn't perfect like I I don't feel that much remorse for him. Mm-hmm. But he, I think that's the important thing is he thinks he's, he, again, he thinks he's the hero. He thinks he's always done the right thing or the best he could do under all the circumstances. He feels like he's an important building block in the, stru- the social structure that he believes in and trusts. And, it, and yet if he gets removed and no one misses him. <laughs> like, like, he's only important because he happens to be part of this story, but he could he could have been replaced with anyone else and it would have worked out the same type of, type mm. of thing. Basically, mm. yes. Honestly, that just makes me want to skip forward a little bit here on the list. Yeah. We are running a little bit short of time, but... Yeah, I apologize. Be- because, well, no, this is, this is all great stuff. It's just, yeah. we had a big list, and I... We could come back and do another session, but I don't think that we have enough content here to warrant a uh, another t- a second one. Also, we don't want to like we appreciate so much you taking the time with this, and we oh, don't please. want to. You can interview me for twelve hours, and I wouldn't get tired of it. So. <laughs> <laughs> you would enough. get tired of us, I assure you. Mm. <laughs> well, we'll see. On the subject of people that believe they are the heroes of their own story. Back when I first asked Alex about scheduling an interview with Spencer, it was because Toby and I had Haka on the brain. We were in the process of heavily reevaluating his role in Tiger's Eye, and wanted to get feedback from Spencer himself as to his experiences and insights into playing the Tiger Shaman. Obviously, when it comes to talking with anyone about Tiger's Eye, Maureen would be at the top of the list, considering how personal this acting journey was for her. But I'm reticent about asking her for her time, given her personal and health issues. Spencer, on the other hand, could be equally thematic to our discussion, so I wanted to include his voice as a part of us wrapping up our thoughts on Tiger's Eye. As we were getting into actually deconstructing the meat of the final 
member of the trio of characters of, of Tiger's Eye, we had to come around to the to the possibility that even though he is an antagonist for much of the story, that our Durga tribe shaman Haka may actually qualify as a protagonist in his own right. This interview did happen before much of our discussion on the Haka chapters. So to those looking forward to it, I can assure that the wishy-washy maybe is done away with, as we appreciate that his story is a necessary component of the novel. We see that there are depths to Baltus, and yet still hate him for what he is, because he can't break out of his cycle. Even before we have the final note of Haka's personal self-realization at the very end of the story, we can see through the going back through his personal experiences that what we thought of him as being this zealot, this person who is just convinced of his own rightness and therefore feels the need to take the life of a helpless child, we see more readily in him that he does believe he is the hero of his own story and we can have some sympathy as to why he thinks that. He may be an antagonist, but that doesn't make him a villain the same way that Mohawk or even Captain Queensberry would be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, aside from the, you know, finding his voice and the the magical wizardry that Alex did to deepen voices and everything like that, what did you draw on to help define Haka in your acting? And like so many other of the voice actors, was was any of it personal as opposed to directorial or inspired by other acting performances? Haka, there, I mean, with all the characters, I can see some of me in them. I think that's why, I mean, I think that's why Alex has such a good eye for assigning characters to people is he knows it's like, this person can inhabit this other person very well type of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, like, I think it's why he hands me a lot of the like showmen and the storytellers. Cause that's just kind of my thing. Um, mm -hmm. And Haka very, but the fact that Haka mostly wanted, like he took, he, he became the shaman, not cause he necessarily wanted the magic of the responsibility. He was just like, Oh, you're the one who gets to tell the stories and know the stories. And that's the part that interests me is mm. uh, that's, because he he was fascinated by the stories as a kid and so he was like i want to learn to do what you do and his mentor did kind of let him down by like basically a mistaking what haka wanted but also like his mentor was not meant to be you know he, he never signed on to be a teacher so mm -hmm. you know and he's got this voracious student who's a little difficult to control and you know that's why haka ends up ascending to the role a little bit before he's ready but basically has to act like he is mm -hmm. um and so haka it's funny i i voiced haka in my mid-20s and i remember drawing the inspiration from being in my early 20s or like <laughs> my late teens that period of, of everyone's life where they think they have it figured out and they've ascended to adulthood and have not they they have that teenager sense of being the most important person in the world and, and like their inflated sense of 
self-accomplishment, but they also still have that, oh god, am I doing it right? It, can it, can anyone see that I'm not, that the Emperor has no clothes type of mm. thing? Um, <laughs> and I think that's Hakka, and like, that's that's his realization at the end, is that shattering realization of like, the fact that he gets outmatured by a child makes him realize what he's doing is wrong. Like, the fact that Miguel is willing to quietly go to his death to keep Hrau safe and to make it so that Hrau doesn't have to watch just breaks him. Mm. So, and mm. like the realization of like, this child is stronger than I am. I could not make myself do the type of sacrifice that this child is doing. And, you know, like, like that realization of like the baggage he's been carrying. But like, that was the mentality I was trying to pull on for, from Hakka of the, he's not like that. I think that's one of Alex's strengths is knowing who's, truly reprehensible who is who basically like not necessarily who can't be saved because arguably everyone could be saved but basically who doesn't deserve a redemption arc and who does mm -hmm. and that's the thing haka is ultimately he's a kid like in a way that a lot of adults secretly are like especially at the age i kind of was when i was reading him that's there's a lot of people who don't mature past a certain point and he fortunately gets the opportunity to do so but he he very much you know, he thinks he's an adult. He thinks he's the shaman of the tribe. Much like Baltus, I'm this important pillar. But, you know, the difference between him and Baltus is Baltus believes that despite all the evidence to the contrary. Whereas Hakka's almost the other way around where he's like, I need to, I'm trying to hold up all these things on my shoulders when I don't think I, you know, I don't think I'm strong enough to be a pillar. Like everyone is depending on me and I need to make them, I need to make them feel that that's not misplaced. Like he is ultimately trying to do the right thing. He's just wrong about what he, what that is. Mm. And ultimately his lesson is, Oh, I've seen that the actual evil is not this small hispanic child this this thing that looks different from us but has adopted our ways the problem is the people who look like us and are monsters like mm. one of yeah. the things that we talked about was actually the idea that like you said that brask wasn't necessarily a very good teacher but that he gave haka sort of license in his way of saying, look, I'm, I'm going off to learn something new now, and you need to do what I did to continue to lead them until someone better comes along. With mm -hmm. the implication that Brask thinks that Haka, there is something in Haka that is better than him, and so therefore the tribe will be better served by Haka, regardless of what Haka may, whatever uncertainty he may feel inside. But the idea of the adult, the one that he has looked up to, putting his personal stamp on it, Toby and I talked about the possibility that maybe that gave him a boost of confidence that he wouldn't have otherwise had, particularly after he was punished for trying to uh, mind control another uh, sapient cat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a part of it. It's like, like the internal monologue of well, he left me here all alone. That must mean he's okay with me. Like, obviously he thought I was ready because part of his arc is realizing, oh, even my mentor doesn't really know what he's doing. It's okay to not know what you're doing, basically. Mm. Like, like mm. he, his big realization, I think, is the, oh, none of us know what we're doing. We're all faking it. Holy crap, <laughs> like that kind of thing. <laughs> because it's also, again, he's he's very traditionalist and he's very like, I need to up help uphold 
the tribe, like the weight of trying to uphold the tribe isn't just like, I'm the only one who can do it. It, it is that responsibility of like, I need to be a pill. I need to help do my part and be a pillar to these people because without that, like part of our life collapses, like, and I can't do that to them. I can't let that happen. And that's why he sees Miguel as such a threat. Cause it's something different. It's something he's not trained for. And therefore, it, you know, it's mm. not part of what we fought to uphold. And if he starts questioning his mentor too much, that means he's questioning that lineage. He's questioning those pillars. And he's, that means he's, he it, it literally me it, it 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 puts the lie to the very thing he's trying to uphold and he can't let himself do that and that's why he breaks down at the end because it's the realization of like it's not a lie but it's not infallible either like it's the realization mm -hmm. of like we're all just doing our best you're allowed to do things different than your mentor you don't have to kill this child and yeah maybe your mentor ran away a little too quickly that it, it you know it, not that's perfectly fine but it's like you got to let that go and you got to forgive yourself as well type of mm -hmm. thing. Like you got to mm -hmm. be willing to accept that everyone makes mistakes. And he was already breaking in small ways long yes. before that. One of the things that we'd forgotten was that he had the prophetic dream that doesn't even come into full focus for him, at least until most of the events of, tiger's eye have played out where he actually you know at first he sees miguel then he sees miguel riding around on on crowd's shoulder and then he sees miguel on the mask so the full component of what he saw in his dream is now complete he just assumed that the dream was telling him that the golden mist that was killing his people was a result of Miguel yes. rather than being symbolic of the lions, which yeah. doesn't put together until later. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and I think that's this is basically a like I said. It's why I associated him with like a, a a late stage teenager of the the fragile arrogance that is that of what happens when you go off to college or just go into the real world and you just get repeatedly confronted with you are not special, kid. You do not know half of what you think you do. And the people who do do not have the patience for you for you to think you know more than them. It's just a series of him getting humbled over and over and over. And the one that hits him the hardest is Miguel managing to humble him. This small, fragile child being showing more inner inner strength than Haka has is just like the final, the mm. final blow to his ego. But like, well, well I mean, that's the. By the end, he has almost nothing left. Mm -hmm. He's too overwhelmed by everything. And so therefore, he's thinking to himself, if I can just, if I can just kill Miguel, like I, excuse me, if I can just kill this thing, because he's mm -hmm. not willing to give Miguel by name at this point, yeah. then everything will somehow return to normal and it will make my life make sense again. So... But he, well, he can't do that. Not necessarily that his life will sort of like return to anything, but it feels like he's quite nihilistic at this point because he's sort of disparaging the other tribal leaders thinking that they have a chance against the oncoming threat. Which, yeah. Uh, but he's sort of like, whatever happens, I need to kill this thing. And it's like a, almost like he is believing that, like, if he comes to an end, it's like, at least I will have come to an end and served my purpose. Yeah. And at the point where he 
suddenly collapses and it all caves in on him is that he is now, I think, confronting the fact that he has to confront the uncertainty of a continuing life, that it's not just you serve a linear path towards a final destination, it's that life is winding, there's not a prophecy that will clearly tell you the answers to all of this, you need to take that agency yourself. Yeah, and that's and, and and actually being fed those kinds of answers is almost a crutch. Like it it mm. it strips you of your own agency, your own sentience. You may as well be the Potu at that point. Like, mm. excuse me, of the the you know I, eyes wide open but not really thinking type of thing. And I think that's partially why mm. Alex uses that bird. But um, oh, because they're terrifying. For the longest time, my my avatar here on Skype was the. Potu. I remember that. I remember that from some of the behind the white sky. Yeah, they're 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 horrifying oh, looking for uh this is the bug-eyed bird you're talking about. Huge here. bug-eyed bird, yeah, with eyes like headlights. It's insane. Um <laughs> it basically looks like an anime owl. Like it's this little owl with these gigantic eyes. It sh- it's it's someone messed up on the proportions. It's really funny. Yeah, someone but, in the uh, character creator like fell asleep <laughs> on that one. Why, why did you move the eye slider all the way to the, to the right? What are, what are you doing? <laughs> You know, and I think you're right, that moment of, like, he has nothing left, and I think that realization is why he's willing to go to, oh, what is her title? Is it the Whisperer? The, the, silent, the silent One. The Silent One, thank you. Why he's willing to go to the Silent One, of like, the realization of, like, I have nothing left, and but that also makes me perfect to be built up again. Like, I, mm. I am a blank slate of sorts, mm. and uh, hence why I'm willing to learn, and the, who can I, who better than someone who has survived harsher conditions than me much longer? Not even just the jungle she lives in, but the fact that, because if I remember correctly, she's deaf, so. Yeah. Mm. An interpretation I have of the the last advice his teacher Brass gives him of mm-hmm. lead them until someone better than you comes along is that yes, to a certain extent is that the someone better than you is you. It can still be you, yes. Yeah, that it has to be a version of you that lets go of all the shit. Yes, there the there is no true nobility in being better than your fellow man, only being better than your former self. That whole thing, mm, yeah, the, exactly. And I again, I think Haka at the beginning of the story is very until someone better than you comes along, fat chance. Uh, and then Haka <laughs> at the end of the story is, oh please, someone better than me, please come along. Like not even just the I can't do this anymore, but in that sense of like. I should be celebrating someone better than me. I should be glad for my tribe if someone better... Like, this isn't about me. And I, I think that's that's one of his biggest transformations, is real, like feeling like the weight of the world is on his shoulders, and then realizing it's like, the tribe has people besides you in it, dude. Like, mm-hmm. like Rao has been looking out for the good of the tribe this entire time. You don't have to have it all be on you. The moment that comes to mind is why Doctor Strange, as much as it may not be the top Marvel film for lots of people, it never is. It, it's definitely high up there for me, is that Sucker moment. for Wizards, man. I can't help yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's when, uh, I forget the name of the teacher and that... Uh, the ancient one, right? The ancient, the ancient one. one yeah. Oh my God, there's even the something one, <laughs> is uh, when she says it's not about you is one of my favorite. I, that's kind of one of those moments in films that has sort of tattooed itself onto my soul as something like carry this with you. Remember yes. this 
live this try your best just to embody that and i think that that is in that moment that's a lesson that haka needs to remember and to try and live now yeah no and i I think cumberbatch is Stephen Strange goes through a very similar arc of the you grew up being told you were special, that you were competent, that that made you important, and ultimately the arc is learning that it's like, yeah, but you're not that important. You can still vanish Mm. one day and the world will keep turning. Like, Mm. your tribe will survive past you, Hakka. Like, that kind of thing, with or without you. One could very well say that Hakka's arc has played itself out and the story of Rama will develop in other directions, especially mm-hmm. as new protagonists come forward to voice it due to Miguel and Hrau no longer being the focus of that world. Yeah. But are, are you interested in all in exploring who Haka becomes after his final scene in Tiger's Eye? Yeah, I definitely think he could have like the equivalent of like a mini-series or something focusing on him learning from the Silent One and becoming better and then coming back as a leader and like even having like potentially like a culmination of him trying to lead his tribe in a resistance against the lions like type of thing um but i do think it's very much like that's all that is all cool and it's definitely possible to do like i think i think that would be interesting and there's some some interesting things you can mine but i do kind of agree that it's like yeah but it's just not really the story we need to tell or even is all that relevant to the multiverse that Alex is crafted like the extent I should say the the extended universe that he's crafting. Hakka's story will play out off screen and it really isn't that important to see happen whereas it's mm. much more important to figure out what the hell is happening with things like Seth Butler uh Steamheart in general like the entire Steamheart team like they're they are clearly like they're they're our avengers and what they do matters. Mhm. Well, we're we're coming close to our our breaking point here, but yes, let, let's let's do some some last minute questions here. Right. Above and beyond anything you've are, we've already talked about, do you have any personal headcanons about the characters you've played? Things you might have tried to express in performance, or just kept in the back of your head as you brought Alex's script to life. Hmm. Other than some of the stuff I've talked about, like like literally their mindset of like Baltus thinking he's desperately important again, the the swagger, this the, mm-hmm. the I, I, thinking he's as competent as something like Hans Landa when it's like you're still you're not even that interesting, like or again Haka being kind of like thinking he's a he's this adult and that like you said like this is going to be the end of his story, the culmination when it's like no you're just on the beginning like that. That kind of arc, that kind of story plays out in my head a little bit. Uh, or I do think about like what's going to happen to Butler. And I have in my head what I think are the two obvious possibilities. But Alex has been very good at, be, at going in directions that I'm like, oh, that didn't occur to me. Well done. Like, like, <laughs> like this isn't going where I thought it was with like the nature of the Wendigo and things like that. And um, char- like characters like Seth of the like, why? this came out of nowhere to me but i'm very glad it did because seth is one of my favorite characters like Mm. just to just to know he exists i i I don't i don't think i have anything super strong of that that's like world altering beyond what we talked about i think it really is just the Mm -hmm. the 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 elements that aren't necessarily on the page that i try to bring in the like Mm. ah yes butler 
Butler would rather not do this, but he can't deny he he is good mm-hmm. at it. Or that the again the the Baltists think he's important. Haka think Haka just trying to hold the whole world together in his hands type mm-hmm. of thing. But a lot of that is already sort of subtextual, like hence like as you guys pointed out, where Haka feels like he has nothing, hence why he has that moment with the widow beneath the waves where he's kind of willing to let it all go of like, whatever, I don't need to swim to the surface. Let the shark eat me. I don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you guys, I think you guys have, have caught on to anything I have been trying to bring in, which I think is like, I will, I will say, cool. I'm glad you guys picked that up for my performance. I'm glad that is there. Cause I, I'm never sure if it is, cause it all just sounds like my voice to me. I, I have a hard, like, I don't think I'm bad at this, but I have a hard time telling how much comes across but i also think a big chunk of that is just alex is very good at what he does alex is very good at what he does but i like to always make sure that i tell each cast member that we interview in one of these you are also very good at what you do and yeah yeah i have at this point tried to just like accept that alex wouldn't keep me if he didn't also think that so i i Mm. find i i used to be much more self-deprecating but these days i'm like you know that's it's almost insulting to alex or to anyone or to people like you who really love this series like if i think i'm bad at this that says bad things about the whole project and that's really selfish of me to do at that point i will say that i didn't know if there was going to be anything that was going to else that was going to come up as a result of asking this question back when i put it into the outline months ago not months ago weeks ago (laughs) but just Based on the amount of information you've given to us, talking about Frank, about the Nag, about Baltus, all of that, you've really given us a lot of the background context that is the 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 bread and butter of what we're doing here, uh, and it's all brilliant. This is just a, a gold mine in terms of content here, and you are literally like when you first. <laughs> sent an email back to me saying, I, I can't imagine why you would want to talk to me about this, this, this right here, which mm. you've been giving us over the last mm. two and a half hours. That is what we are looking for. That's what we have seen and gleaned from everybody else here. So yes, please don't, please don't think that you aren't bringing yourself, your A game to this. Cause we very much disagree. Yeah. Oh. This is gold. You are gold. Well, thank you. Although I, I do still feel like it could have saved you some time by just writing back an email that was just two words, hoof hands. And that's, 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 that's the whole thing. I think we have a name for the uh, episode. Yeah. <laughs> Pleasure uh, to introduce Spencer Hoof Hands Leave. Oh, God, that's going to stick. Yeah. Toby, go ahead and uh, rattle off the next one. So... What desires do you have for your future work with New Century? Are you most interested in uh, your evolving performances of the characters that already exist, or are you more interested in stretching your range and taking on new roles as the multiverse and its many cast members keep expanding? Um, that is a... I think I do like taking on some of the new ones, just because I do like finding random new voices i always feel bad every time uh because alex has had me voice a couple of bad guys like he had me voice one of the like i think it was one of the kkk rally members and i was it arlington i think it was in arlington Um, they took our germs yeah the 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 guy who says some words i will not be repeating outside of the script um but 
I hate admitting that it's like his voice though is really fun to do. He's got a cadence that's like really fun, and I'm hoping I can stick that somewhere else. And like there was like there was some random. I think you mentioned him earlier, but I actually can't remember the character's name. Who's just this random guy who's just got this Cajun accent that I was like, I I wish I could do that that voice more. This would be Merle, one of the residents of Clearwater that asks questions of Abigail's mother during Chapter 2 of the Definitive Edition. And I do miss getting to do Conrad, just because Conrad's the only Conrad, I just, I just talk in my normal voice. Like, he, he was originally supposed to be like an Alan Alda type. And like, I in my head, I hear Alan Alda's voice, but I can't quite do an Alan Alda impression. So Alex just had me do like basically play Alan Alda but with your own normal voice and it came out much more naturally and I'm like I actually kind of like I like that character and I like getting to just speak as me every mm-hmm. once in a while um mm-hmm. I, I part of why I, I fall into nag so easily is I do think nag is just the posh version of of me including the like the depressive self-deprecation like I mm-hmm. I that is a that is a habit I'm trying to kick and I, I think it's partially why I can do like that blend of like snarky but self-defeatist that nag is so easily because it is almost like he he very much talks the way i talk in a lot of ways um Mm -hmm. openly aware that he's funny but trying to live up to being funny because he sees it as one of the only things he still has going for him type of things like i i Mm -hmm. very much understand that mentality i i would like to do other people but i i i like being butler i like being nag i i mean i'd love sadly i don't get to do baltus anymore and like i just said i don't think there's a need to do haka anymore but i like both of them very much i i i would love to go back to them i am here for as long and as for whatever alex needs me for and as long as he needs me i will gladly keep doing it honestly my my true desire i i always feel a little bit bad about this but i've i've wanted to be successful enough to be famous my entire life and i think that's just a side effect of spending you know i grew up on the stage so i've gotten very used to spotlight and things like that and i've just always wanted to be good at what i do um i I don't know if it's ever come up before but like the what i actually want to do with my life is be like a video game director like kind of like kojima or um or the people who are like i have this mental map for what this game is supposed to be and it's about guiding the game in that direction type of thing like i've always Mm. i've always said my my goal is not necessarily to be the best but to it i want i would love to try and become like a household name of game design almost like the spielberg of game design type of thing that people know your stamp yeah like like i want to be good enough that people learning this that people who study game design are like yeah you should look at the works of this guy the same way they would say like look at the works of hitchcock or look at the works of orson welles type of thing like to find their style i want to be that level of good at this like it's not just i want to be famous i want to be i want to earn that i want to be good enough at that i have a bunch of skills like i don't care if it's if it's if it's through game design or if it's through i've tried pursuing acting like a couple other things this the the slightly arrogant desire i have is i want to be famous enough that my name brings more attention to alex's stuff because his stuff is so critically under under viewed under like like all of his stuff, his pot. I think his podcast is one of the best out there. I think this book series is fantastic, both audiobook and just written novel form. And like, the, I'm so glad there's a fan podcast for it because it's like, yes, he deserves it. Like, <laughs> it's so good. And I just want more people to know about it. And I would like to be part of how, of, of like, oh, this Spencer guy's on this thing. And then people find this thing that they love. Oh, Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, that's it's kind of uh, us, I think. I before I uh, did the podcast with Greg, I would do these like blog reviews and things like that because I just thought like I need to put more attention towards this and you know maybe put up uh, like I would always with anything I put up on my Tumblr blog uh, like put little tags of anything I could think of for the film or whatever I was talking about and I remember that the posts that I would always put the most amount of tags on would be the new century ones because I just wanted anyone who was looking up history, alternate history, history fiction, uh, steampunk fiction, just like anything I could think of that would be like, do you like any of these things? Okay, this will be, this is what you want to (laughs) see. Yeah. Also, I'm totally behind the idea of you pursuing um, some form of mark in the the video game creation world as long as your idols aren't peter molyneux or god forbid david cage no i (laughs) you will find few ways to piss me off faster than bring up the the three big ones the three ones who bother me the most like like people who have kind of made themselves into that type of like ideologue like this iconoclast of the of the of the of the thing when they really don't deserve it is Molyneux Cage and I'm forgetting his name, a uh, guy who made Braid. Oh, um, crap. Jonathan Blow. Was, Blow, yes. I hate those three Unfortunate people so, name, yeah. I, I hate them so much. Like, not not necessarily on a personal level, though. Um, I had a friend, friend who worked for Jonathan Blow, and I do kind of dislike him personally because of what I heard they had to go through. Mm. I, I hate that these people are, I hate some of these people who are held up as like ah yes these are visionaries and it's like they're not even that good man like i hate that i hate that our that 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 the i i i always hate the sense of like these people getting paid so much money to do to screw up franchises when it's like i will take half that i will take like significantly less pay to do it correctly in the first place because it frequently like uh, molyneux with the fable series and so many things where it's yeah. or david cage with literally anything he's made where it's like yeah. The answer is pretty obvious how not to do this wrong, and yet, and yet, they're 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 the Captain Baltus of game creation. Yes, yes, yes. But, uh, oh and, my and god! It's that, and it's that thing where like like the the field is so devoid of those big names because the AAA industry is so designed by committee that we don't get visionaries like Kojima. Like honestly, I don't like Kojima's games. I like that Kojima exists though. Like I, mm. it's I don't think they're necessarily bad. I just know they're not for me. But like the Ken Levines, the back in the day, David Jaffe, when he used to be around, um, uh, the, the, the Kojima's like, we have mm. so few names like that. So few people who really do stand out as like, this is their, th- this is their game, their vision. Like the, this is a person you hire for that job mm. that people like cage Molyneux and blow get to rise to the top by definition of like, well, th- we know who they are. We know those mm-hmm. names. Therefore they get to be here. All right, so this Sorry. is a question. This is that, a tangent. Sorry. No, 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 no. This is a question that now has to be asked because of all of that. New Century Game. You're the creative director on it. What are you doing? That is a fantastic question. I think the default, the one that you try to make so that it's successful enough, captures the feel and like gets people into it so that you can, because I don't think you can make one new century game. I don't think you can make the same genre over and over for this story because new century is not the same genre over and over. Arlington, mm-hmm. Arlington's a political thriller. Uh, you know, we have cartographer's handbook, which is, uh, I forget the term, but like an epistemological 
world building mm-hmm. text more than anything mm-hmm. else. You, I would want to make, you know, like various games for it. But the one I would start off with is basically a um, um, the sort of open world games where you you're similar to Red Dead or the Ubisoft stuff where you have most of the American Midwest or the American South available to you Mm -hmm. and you are playing as a white scarf who and your job is to roam the different areas and you get like the environmental storytelling of like finding an abandoned house where you know there's a bunch of dead wendigo in a circle around the house and then you get inside the house and it's like there's the one wendigo left and a and a couple of dead family members and it's like Mm. ah like the the storytelling of there's no diaries there's no journals but you figure out what happens just from the nature of that kind of thing and and then also having characters you interact with and certain factions at play and like having a story Mm. but the idea of like we can make a white scarf and it can either be this person canonically exists just not in the books type of thing like you know the lone wanderer type of thing or or we can make a named character similar to uh what is it arthur morgan or um john Preston, where it's like they have a story and it plays out to an end and it's just another story in new century but it's the story you have an effect on uh, and mm. I, I would i would strive very hard to have it be the type of thing where it's not a linear story like if it's open world and like to me to me the essence of game design is agency so it's one of those no you play this how you see the need to play it and it's gonna like basically try to make it so that whatever path you take can be canon you know not like a, there's mm-hmm. a good ending, bad ending it's that there's mm-hmm. multiple endings they all fit it's just what story did you tell yourself with your own white scarf i i see it as a sort of disco elysium style like you go into an environment and there is any number of ways you can play a scenario yes that, exa- like that type of thing or like the 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 latter day or not, the the older Fallout's, or like New Vegas, where they, the, uh, yeah, mm. New the, Vegas the, was what was coming to mind for me. Yeah, there. the one, the thing that Obsidian is specifically as a studio is very good at is the nuance. The there is not like because they also do it in Nice Little Republic too, I think very well, where it's like there is not good and bad. There's viewpoints. There's mm. there's a reason to believe all of these characters and all of the way they act and like the way you can be yeah the way where it's like this isn't about do you pick the good option or the bad option it's there is no right answer but you Mm. you the player probably think there's a clear moral choice here and you're gonna pick whatever you pick but they're not you know none of them are inherently correct you know Mm -hmm. like that that those especially for the world of new century because new century is a rough universe mm. to live in there's a lot of like again butler has to make the choice of every time he shoots a wendigo knowing that it's like they're not animals mm. they have something left in there but he still knows it's like i to him the correct choice every time is pull the trigger yeah i mean he's definitely been influenced by thomas who comes across as being someone that has considered all the angles and unfortunately that means that he's carrying that seeming certainty around in his wake and it's means that that's part of the inherent tragedy Mm -hmm. that plays into uncivil outlaw in particular Mm -hmm. so yeah well that's that's a, that, that's a big one right there, but part of me is also just like, like I like the idea of a Disco Elysium better just because that means that your play 
doesn't have to be combat focused, which feels no. more genuine to the new century that Alex is creating, where, uh, you know, he doesn't want killing to be the mechanic by which everything is solved, like would be in a, say, a Red Dead Redemption or something like that. Although, yeah. also part of me is thinking, is like, yeah, okay, you're a white scarf, you're out on the plains, you're going on a mission. And then you decide, you know what, I'm just going to go over here and try and get all of the different kinds of flowers for the next three hours. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, 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 yeah, and that, that thing where by nature, I think that's why it's important to make it be a white scarf, because by nature, they're, they're scouts, they're, they're, they're information gatherers, they're allowed to just kind of meander and like whatever you think, especially if it's like the opening of the game is you have a very open-ended quest of like get find out more about blank and it's like well that can take me all kinds of things i can help these random passerby see if they know anything or at the very least it's just building goodwill towards the white star so they're more willing to help if not me some one of my teammates farther down the line or at least the organization and it helps establish you know the stability for reuniting the united states type mm. of thing the thing to me is that uh, if you make this game, it's perfect because then the instruction manual is just the cartographer's handbook. In a lot of ways, yeah. Like the, I very much, when, when I was first signing on to this project, uh, I was very excited by the concept of like going to conventions cosplaying as just a generic white scarf and purposely getting like a paperback uh, version mm. of cartographer's handbook and then like beating it up and like maybe giving it like a custom cover so it looks more old you know mm. old world and rugged but like literally just having that on me as a prop mm. like, and i like that idea of like having that as part of all white scarves that they just have the handbook on them i mm -hmm. i do have pictures of me in a white scarf costume um, <laughs> That sounded more salacious than it was intended to be. But um, <laughs> I mean, if you subscribe to the OnlyFans right now, <laughs> uh, um, but no, right. I, I think that uh, it has been an idea I've been toying with for a while is to get a physical copy of the Cartographer's Handbook, and if I'm ever so fortunate as to uh, come across cast uh, members in person in real life to meet uh, any of you lovely people to collect the signatures in much the same way that abigail is oh <laughs> yeah well next to last question spencer and this is maybe a big one if you had a chance to sit down and converse with one of the characters you play who would you most want to speak to and what advice would you give them or would you want them to say to you Okay, so if it's characters I play, see, this is actually tough because I want different things out of all of them. Is the mm. thing um, the one I w probably want to just sit and have a long conversation with is probably Butler. Like, mm. I can see him and I sitting on a porch drinking tea, like, mm. like, or, or lemonade or sarsaparilla. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I'll combine them. Drinking Arnold Palmer's. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just on a on a porch, watching the trains go by. Like I think he and I would have the most to talk about and would enjoy each other's company the most. But like, there's part of me that like wants to like try and talk to Baltus to like try and like 
there's part of me that wants to try and save Baltus and Haka before they have to go through all the awfulness. Like, mm-hmm. like, like try and make Baltus not shit, basically. Like, try and tell Haka, it's like, look, man, it's okay. You don't know. You can just be you. You can just tell the stories. People like that part. Like, it's okay. Like, mm-hmm. you don't need to know everything. And, like, I would want to talk to the nag, but almost more out of the, like, teach me things. Like I said, I'm a sucker for wizards. I want my own magic. Because uh, otherwise, nag, I, I think nag would, A, just wouldn't talk, slash B, would actually not be fun to hang out with. I think we interact with nag as the audience the only way he's tolerable. Mm-hmm. Which is when he's forced to be social forced to be not polite but like accommodating as much as he can be where he's like he he doesn't have it the option to just nope i'm staying here you can't make me do anything goodbye and he really will just go silent on you if you bother him too much like Mm. he doesn't get to do that in the story so i think watching him as from the audience is the most interesting way to engage with him for now I'm also going to cheat and say, if I got to talk to someone who wasn't one of my characters, it's Arlington. Like Arlington is actually probably my favorite character in the entire series, but I, it's, it's that, that thing of, I don't know if he told you, but Alex said he laid out the whole, the Myers Briggs thing mm-hmm. and tried to have a character for every single type. And I know, like, I, I know there's, there's people out there who are like, you know, uh, My- Myers Briggs is basically just armchair psychologist, astrology like it's the, the the same type of thing and i get that but i can't help but identify with arlington because he's like oh arlington's the intj i'm like ah that's mine that's probably mm-hmm. why i like him so much i get his sense of like oh if you would all just listen to me with this would all be fixed like this is only a the world is only pro- problematic because you're fighting me basically mm-hmm. i i don't want to like this is there isn't room for me to deconstruct Myers Briggs, but yeah, there was something that Sharon said specifically the other day that I was contributing to when I was reflecting on the idea of Dr. Shira, Captain Queensbury, and Mohawk being mm-hmm. potential representations of ego, superego, and id. What she was saying, what I generally agree with, is that th- this archetype is not as useful as a more complex, diverse understanding of psychology, but that doesn't mean that it's not useful in some ways. All of these things, Myers-Briggs, Freudian psychology, Jungian psychology, other forms of understanding, they're all tools that can potentially be used. And as long as you don't necessarily rely too much on any of them, for a definitive answer as long as you're using them to unlock a greater truth mm-hmm. then the symbolic the, the symbology of using it as a tool to better understand yourself and the world around you is still potentially useful mm-hmm. I, i'm not going to disagree that there are elements of new age mysticism that can be definitely problematic oh yeah like, but but my starting to reveal a little bit more of myself that nobody knew beforehand. Uh, my mother is an astrologer, mm-hmm. which means that I've mm-hmm. lived my entire life with that. And obviously, you know, in my forties now, I look on it with much more of a grain of salt and an understanding that, you know, that these things don't actually 
affect our lives meaningfully in any way. But I do accept that some of what my mother does can be helpful to other people because if she's just using it as a tool to focus her empathy and to help people, mm-hmm. you know, make progress on their own lives, then the source of it doesn't actually matter. It's who's using the tool and to what end. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's that. That's the no, primary. I, yeah, I, I I I think you're correct. I, I and I think I mean honestly, I think that's a that's actually a huge theme of new century as well is just mm-hmm. all these hence why it's like, I think that's why he was so interested in telling an extended universe, like the multi-world plot lines of this idea of that thing of finding the similarities, despite everyone having such a different worldview. And the fact that the fractured United States is such a, such a hodgepodge of, of like the fact that it's like, we don't need to come from different worlds to come from different worlds, you know, mm-hmm. like, like cartographer's handbook is such a good, cross-section of so many different viewpoints but they're all they're all humans who live honestly within the same couple hundred miles of each other like feeling like they all come from completely different worlds depending on their class which side of the of the border they're on you know which which side of the mason dixon line which side of the war they were on uh their skin color and all those things and yet i like i live in california my state is bigger than most of the south combined and to think that like the different universes that live in that tiny little space. And then also, by the way, magical shape-shifting horse, straight up Arthurian wizard and, and nine foot cat woman with, with her, with her, with her Mexican adopted child. Like those are, <laughs> let's also throw those in and then throw in things like Seth who have such an insane, not, not like insane, like as in crazy, but like such a wild departure from the way everyone else in the story sees the world. Mm. It's interesting that you bring up California in particular, because, and this is just a weird synchronicity here. It immediately brought to mind of all people, Alan Alda's character from Mm -hmm. one of the last seasons of the West wing, where he's talking about California having everything. It's a cross section of all lot of different elements of not just the u.s but of humanity and he's saying if i can win that state then i can win anywhere and that's that's immediately what came to mind when you were talking about that a moment ago yeah to 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 a degree and then that's kind of what california bills itself as though i don't i don't agree i think it is ah i i think there's very much certain viewpoints that live out here that do not live elsewhere and we would reject a certain bunch of other viewpoints for good or ill for being mm. like, no, we don't, we don't like that. That's not California. But there is a tremendous amount of variety here between like it, cause it shares so many borders of between sharing a border with Mexico, but it also in a way shares a border with almost all of East Asia. Like we mm-hmm. like, hence why we have such a tremendous Japanese, Chinese type, you know, Korean population here because all they have to do is come across the Pacific and mm-hmm. to, to, and we're the we're the first thing they run into. Um, and then the fact that we became like this cult. I, I'm getting off on a tangent about California, but that, that's it. It is interesting to me that it's somewhat similar, despite the the funny thing that California doesn't exist. No, California exists in time in the Civil War times. That's right. It, it's a state by now. Never yeah, mind. it is. Mm-hmm. It, it. I think that's it's off the the coast of California where they find the big castle that they come to at the end of uncivil outlaw. I'm, I'm... I think you're correct. Yes. I think it is off the California coast. Yeah. Yes, I think so. 
So, huh. yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> it yeah. all comes back to California. Yeah, so it, as, as many Californians would have you believe is always the case, is that it's always <laughs> about California. Like, <laughs> but as a Californian, I have opinions, capital O, on California. Trust me. <laughs> um, well, yeah, as as a Californian, then that yeah. is your right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm one of the only ones allowed to. Damn it! Uh, no. um, <laughs> but yeah, the 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 cross the cross section of the world, I think, was a very smart place for Alex to start with something like Cart- Cartographer's mm-hmm. Handbook of like, hey, here's a quick taste of everything you're going to run into. You're going to get British British explorers who are pissed that they just can't get a hot cup of tea. You're going to get people. You, you know, you're going to get former slaves. You're going to get, you know, you know, naive, bright-eyed kids being thrust into war type of thing. Like, mm. it's, it, I'm always impressed at what he managed to pull off in one book, let alone the ones f- further on where he got better and better. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, this is the part of the interview where we're we're wrapping up here, but just like everybody else when we started out this this white scarves team up it was it's specifically named after an 80s comic imprint uh, marvel team up which was all about putting together heroes from different parts of the marvel universe and having them you know defeat a villain or solve a mystery or whatever it is in some unex- pairing two unexpected different people. And yeah, that sounds complicated. That... It'll never work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no and... market in that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, as we began, people were picking out specific avatars from characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We've gotten completely away from that at this point because Lareda immediately picked uh, Pinkie Pie wearing a Batman costume. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and then Matt obviously picked uh, Magic the Gathering Planeswalker, but yeah. if you were going to have an avatar for yourself being a member of the White Scarvengers, is there a heroic character in any medium that you would pick as a self-representation? In any medium... Uh... I mean, if you, if you want to limit yourself only to the Marvel Cinematic Universe... I was going to limit uh, myself to New Century. Uh, in Marvel, I, don't, I, I find it weird. I've never, as much as I like the Marvel movies and, like, a passing interest in the comics, like, I've never identified with any of them. Despite, despite Which is funny, because I know Marvel is all about being relatable. Like, that's always mm-hmm. been their specialty. Mm-hmm. Although I am a sucker for Moon Knight. Oh, goodness. I, Th- I that's it. an interesting one, right? Like all of a sudden, there there are people that would claim that uh, Moon Knight is just a weird Batman XP because yeah, of his he, whole he aesthetic. Is, yeah, he is very Batman esque, but I I I mean, the heroes are all kind of derivative of each other in a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. like and mm-hmm. like across mediums, but like sometimes they're derivative of, of each other in the same universe. Um, yeah. uh, but like. That that doesn't matter. like yeah Moon Knight Moon Knight was one of the first ones I like really attached to just because honestly as a kid it was just his character design he's so cool I started reading his stuff and I was like oh I, this is actually interesting like I'm not a huge comic person but what I remember reading of Moon Knight being like ooh I think he's he's quietly my favorite even though he gets no love but if we're going from like the cinematic universe I'm definitely going to pull on Doctor Strange Do- I, there's a re- I love his movie and I I again I relate to like the the that thirst 
for learning that he has, where once he finds out about magic, it's not about having the power. It's about, I want to know. I don't, he doesn't like that there's forbidden knowledge because he's like, that's stupid. You should, you can only know if something's bad if you know it. You can't like, mm. he wants to learn all, he just wants to have all of it in his head type of thing. And like, that's that, I, I relate to that, that voracious need to know about all these mm. things, even if I'm not going to use it. The energy when he says, teach me yeah just the, yeah exactly that exactly as an aside i must express a uh, fondness of moon knight for the completely fabricated and edited uh image that has made the rounds become a meme which is just him saying descending stairs and going i know you're here dracula you big fucking nerd where's my <laughs> goddamn money <laughs> Yeah, I must have seen that at some point, but I still wasn't, I didn't remember that at the top of my head, so that took me completely by surprise. <laughs> I remember having a while where I was like, wow, they went in a very Deadpoolian direction with Moon Knight. It took me a while to find out, it's like, that's not actually what that says. And there's a whole, like, sort of world out there of people making edits that sort of ran in this direction with Moon Knight's character and there's one where he's on the like Avengers telecom and he's hi- hacked into it to go like Dracula where the fuck are you and now we're suddenly getting on a tangent of that one kid on the bike going I want my two dollars yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry kid I don't have a dime didn't ask for a dime two dollars <laughs> <laughs> But then one of them, the Avengers says, like, Dracula's not an, on the Avengers. And then it just cuts to Moon Knight and says, wait, Dracula's not on the Avengers? Just silent panel. And then, that fucking liar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have a team up with Blade, because he knows where he's hiding. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, check those out. I'll get an extra titter from you on that. <laughs> Well, I like the variation then between Doctor Strange and his intensity, but also thirst for knowledge in comparison to uh, Theo playing Zatanna Zara. So, fine, we have two magic users on the team. We yeah, different I mean, yeah. Magic, that works. Also, also, he's a kung fu wizard with a cape. Like, he's kind of <laughs> everything I want. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Hashtag life goals. <laughs> Spencer. It's it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope that you have gotten as much out of this as we have. This is I, it, it's going to be another great episode. Thank you so much for, you know, errors were made, but we got it done. And this has been a fucking three hour interview, and it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I was, was going to say, oh yeah, you definitely take after Alex. <laughs> <laughs> including the part where you're like well it's time to wrap up and then anyone looking at the podcast is like there's still 10 minutes left <laughs> we will take that compliment I mean, I, as someone who listens to three-hour podcasts on purpose i'm like good more I, I always just prefer more but they thank you for wanting to talk to me and i i'm just glad it, it sounds like i lived up to what you needed and that's that's all that matters to me I yeah. say this with complete sincerity. It was an absolute pleasure. Yay! 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 <laughs> Yay! Accomplished! Uh, oh, we're all getting a little bit punchy towards the end here, but. I think we uh, were punchy at the beginning. We're yeah, always uh, punchy at the beginning. Well, okay, fair enough. We were just. Excited. I sleep next to a punching bag so that I can wake up punchy. <laughs>
Like it's uh, uh, all right. Okay, so, no, let's let's end on a high. That was good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank my, my, you guys so much. Th- thank uh-huh. you, and uh, to all of you listeners, of as I can't even speak now. God damn it! It worked. Oh. I've broken you as well. <laughs> Second tally. Um, as it actually plays out, Spencer, since you're not familiar with it, honestly, we're more in the habit of breaking these long drawn out conversations into like multiple episodes this will probably be like i don't know two hour and a half episodes depending on how it plays out but we hope that all of you enjoyed going down this ridiculous path as much as we did and we will see you all on another trip through the wind door take care and that brings us to the end of the wild ride that is spencer lieb as of time of recording, it's early morning of January 20th, and I'm seriously pondering releasing this episode early, though as always, I'll need Toby to review it first. Who knows how this week is going to turn out, and we may need the help. Not to mention, considering how long the final episodes of Tiger's Eye are going to run, getting some episodes out early will compress the space a bit between this and our final piece of that wonderful book. I've already let everyone know that our wrap-up episode is going to be intensely emotional for me. But even more exciting than that, to those who may not know, I just got an email from Maureen Foley. She's untangled enough from her own life to follow up on a request from Alex to make contact, and she is interested in completing our interview set, just in time for our final words on the book that she will always be known best for. So we're very excited and hope you are too. There's some fun outtakes at the very end, but for now, we will leave you with one of my favorite songs of the last few years. I first found it because of the animated music video posted to the Discord, and the whole package feels emblematic of New Century as a concept, inspiring hope among the darkness of the last four years and even longer. A collection of disparate heroes banding together for the light, and it makes me cry every time I hear this song. Until next time, this is TWRP with Starlight Brigade.
we will see you all on another trip through the wind door. Take care. <sighs> sign off. That's so cool. I need yeah. a sign off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll also apologize in advance. Um, I don't have any windows open or anything. As far as I know, like I don't have any. I don't have anything on, but my house has terrible, terrible insulation, and I live next to noisy neighbors, a train, a train station, and an airport. So frequent, like, like, like when I'm recording for Alex, very frequently, we, he has to do the, the, hey, your line was great, but you need to do it again because there was a train going by in the background, and I'm just so used to it, I don't even hear it anymore. So I apologize in advance for if any of that's happening, and I'm just like, I, I can't, I cannot stop it. I do not know anymore. It's well, all just white noise. Surely for Steamheart, that would just add to the ambience. Yeah, I, think, <laughs> I think we made that joke. I honestly don't remember. <laughs> Production value! Uh, we're a fan discussion podcast. We have no originality. <laughs> I mean, the other thing we don't, we don't have to worry about... This is this is for publication, but it's very you know loosey goosey publication. And anytime we have motorcycles passing outside Toby's house, we just say, "Oh no, the Wendigos got through the window again." No, not not again. <laughs> well, they're yeah. fans. They're fans of the podcast. They have opinions. So that's they speak up. Yeah, yeah. We sometimes throw them a bone, but uh, they are quite demanding. Yeah, I kind of like the idea of referring referring to the. The, demanding fans. Yeah, the, that's the word. It was like the, the very demanding fans. That's the Wendigo. <laughs> Crap, I suddenly forgot what the name of our show is. Not, not the name of our regular Out the show. window. Out the window. No, no. <laughs> oh, crap. That should be what the outtakes are called. <laughs> Out the wind dash O. <laughs> the Perfect. That's the official name now. We will get to secret rooms at some point or another, uh, dear listeners, but uh, that will be in the mix somewhere, I guess. We've already gotten to secret rooms, Toby. Are you referring to something else? Oh, uh, shit. Cartographer's handbook. <laughs> How embarrassing. All right, I'm off. Oh, bye, everyone. It's been real. Get an interview. I like it. <laughs> Not short and to the point. Yeah, yeah. Before we proceed, uh, Toby, the one thing I would ask for you to re-say just right now so that I can edit it back into the podcast later. Uh, <laughs> that was it. Perfect. All right. We can edit that in. <laughs> and this final bit was after explaining to Spencer the backstory of how the podcast came about as a result of devouring Uncivil Outlaw back when the book came out in January 2020. I'm glad that everybody's enjoying the ride because, as Toby just said, it's it's been a it's been a needful thing to get through some of the darker places that this hell year has taken us. Yeah, the the ten, the the decade that is 2020. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Do you say it was like came back out? It came out back in early January, and I literally had like the 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 kill bill that we were we moment of like, oh my god, was that only earlier this year? Cause yeah. <laughs> So yeah. much longer. No, it's it was a lifetime ago.
A horse is a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course. That is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. A. Go right to the source and ask the horse. He'll give you the answer that you endorse. He's always on a steady course. Talk to Mr. A.